listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today, I uh, am going to preach a standalone message, just one message, standalone. It's not a part of a series, and that message is called Pure Joy. And so today, I'm going to be speaking from James chapter 1. That'll be our text, James chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and we'll get there in just a moment. But first, I want to provide a short, small kind of disclaimer. If you are joining us today, here in the room at FWRC, you're watching online, and you're in a season of life where things are smooth sailing, like no problems at all. Tune out for a little while, okay? Seriously, if life is just kind of effortless for you right now and everything is coming up roses, I encourage you to take a nap, catch up on some sleep. If you're not dealing with anything in your life at all that is causing any tension, any pressure, any stress, no difficulties, please don't listen. But for the rest of us, which is all of us, let's go to God's word. James 1, 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for your word today. God, we thank you that it is alive, that it is active. God, that it is your truth to our lives. And so God, we pray right now that you would speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, illuminate the truth in our hearts. Convict us, bring encouragement to us today through your word, and it is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Well, just recently, my wife and I made a, a big purchase for our, our family, for me, for me and her, and, and the way that I, I know that I kind of set that up, you're thinking like it was a house or a car or some big ticket item like that. Uh, no, we just recently decided to buy a new bed. Uh, I don't know if you've been shopping for a bed at all in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. Um, but it's way harder than it should be. And it ended up being way more stressful than I anticipated. But we knew that it was time. We knew it was time for a new mattress, a new bed, uh, because we were starting to wake up with like, you know, you sore, cricking your neck, that kind of thing. And we're now at the age where we don't take accountability for what we didn't do when we're sore, when we wake up, we just blame other things. So like, it's not because I didn't drink any water, it's not because I didn't stretch, it's not because I didn't work out, it's not because I didn't go to sleep earlier, it's obviously the bed's fault, right? So we need new beds, we need new pillows, all those kind of things, and so now we buy the answers to our problems. That's what happens when apparently you get my age. <clears throat> and so we set out on this adventure to buy a bed. Now, I did not wanna go into any of the stores and have to you know, try out any of the beds, and so we were kinda going into this thing the way that I purchase most things now, and maybe some of you are like me, where we rely on Amazon, we rely on the internet, and especially, we rely on reviews from other users. And this is where it complicated the process. I honestly assumed that I would get on Amazon, start searching for mattresses, and there would be like clear-cut winners. This is the one that you need. This is the one that's gonna solve all your problems. Here you go, just buy it, and it'll be at your house tomorrow. I thought that it was gonna be that easy. I could not have been more wrong. I did not realize all of the different opinions that people had about mattresses. And so you go on Amazon, I encourage you to do it. If you're ever bored, just do it. It'll, it'll stress you out and make you laugh at the same time. And so they, there's this one mattress that you click on 
and you look at all the reviews, thousands of reviews on this mattress, and you have some people saying, this is a miracle mattress. Like, I, like it cured ailments that I had just laying next to it. It was amazing. The most comfortable thing. I've, I've had back problems all my life. And all of a sudden, they delivered it to the front door. And when they rang the doorbell, the back problems went away. It's that amazing. You have that review. Five stars. If I could give it more, I would. And then you have the other review. This is the worst bed in the history of all humanity. Like medieval beds are more comfortable than this. This thing gave me all of my health problems. Like I had no back problems and I laid on this bed and now after one night I have all of the back problems. This is the worst bed ever. I almost died just sleeping on this bed. And then you have everything in between. So trying to decide is kind of my nightmare. I like to over-research purchases before I make them. And so you can ask my wife. I was kind of in this limbo in between. It was really, really stressful. First world problems, I know, right? And so we finally decided on a mattress. We got it in. The mattress is fine. I like it just fine. My wife, she is not as happy about it. And then I'm like, oh, that's why all the reviews are different. It must be husbands and wives getting on there, placing different reviews for the same bed. Listen, I don't want your recommendation on a bed. I already bought mine. I can't send it back. We're dealing with it, okay? And so we purchased this bed and we had to purchase a new uh, platform or support or frame or whatever they call it for that bed. And we've got it to where, like, you don't really see that part of the bed because of, uh, I'll get the terminology wrong, but the blankets and things uh, that are on that bed. And, um, and so we just purchased a, a, a really basic metal frame that the mattress just sits right on this platform. And it's fine. It's good. It works, right? The mattress is not on the ground. It's a good day. The only complaint that I have about this frame that I purchased for our new bed is that there are these support uh, legs on this frame and they're on each side of the bed, on the side rails, right about halfway down the, the rail from the, the frame itself to the floor right there. And I would say like, if I had to describe where that is, it's about in that place where you would sweep your foot that way often. Basically, it's exactly where you're gonna kick it all the time. And so we have stubbed our toes collectively in our home so many times over the past several months because you can't see this thing if you're not paying attention and if you're not really thinking about it. It's just boom, and you stub your toe, and then you get all of the reaction from stubbing your toe. And this has happened so frequently in our home recently that I've become somewhat of an observational scientist as to the reactions and type of reactions to that kind of acute pain of stubbing your toe. And so in my family, everybody's kind of got their own unique, different reaction. My son, who is six years old, when he slams his toe into that thing, he's like, all oh boy, super like high output, uh, high octane. Like it bothers him for a second, but then he's looking for something to jump off of. So it doesn't even like really stick very much. My daughter, who's 12, when she stubs her toe, it is a mixed bag. You never know exactly what you're gonna get as a reaction from my 12-year-old daughter. There are some times when she stubs her toe and it's just this silent, pensive, like thinking about all the things in your life right now because you stubbed your toe. And then there are other times when it's more expressive and it's loud. And then there are other times when she stubs her toe and then she blames the bed for stubbing her toe. You ever do that? You ever stub your toe on something? You're like, why is that wall there? We need to call the contractor. Let's remodel our house. The wall should not be there, right? And so she blames the bed sometimes, and then my wife is a very expressive person, and so when she stubs her toe, you know about it. I mean, she's gonna, you know, it, it'll, be, it'll be, you know, uh, expressive. And when I, my personality, the way that it is, I don't know, is I, I, I kind of have this, 
silent, suffering kind of, uh, I don't, maybe, I don't know, like a martyr, I guess, I don't know. But like, I stubbed my toe and really the only like visceral reaction that you're gonna get from me is like, I try to pull all the oxygen I can through my teeth. You know, that kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are that person as well. And I would love to tell you that I do that because after years and years of self-control, I have honed that response to pain into that. But really, it's because if I don't do that, I'm afraid of what words might come out of my mouth that I have to repent for later on. You have your own reaction to pain. Maybe for you, if you stub your toe at your house, you are using it as an opportunity to call everybody in and be like, hey guys, I stubbed my toe. Everybody feel really bad for me. Maybe you've got that. Maybe you're that person. Maybe that person's in your house. Uh, maybe for you, you're trying to figure out like, do I need to go to the doctor? Like, what do they do for a, a stubbed toe? Is there a procedure for that? Let me hop on WebMD and just see how bad it could possibly be. Please don't do that. But we all have these different reactions to that stub your toe, acute, real quick kind of pain, and we all have this natural kind of knee-jerk reaction, but we all know that there is more than just stub your toe kind of pain in life. And, and, and I know that some of it's physical, and that's going to include what we're going to talk about today, but not just physically. I'm talking about there are different kinds of pain that we experience in life. There's emotional pain. There is pain that we experience because of relationships. There is mental pain that we deal with and that we go through, and the reaction that we have to that kind of pain is as different and varied as the different ways that we respond to pain when we stub our toe, when we deal with those kind of serious trials and pains. Maybe we lash out at somebody else and we blame something else for the pain that we're going through. Maybe we just suffer in silence. Maybe we do gather everybody around and say, hey, I want you to feel bad for me. And we kind of create this, this world of drama around us. Maybe we're just really loud about it, but we all have these different reactions to pain. We all react a little differently to that, but the commonality that we all share in this room, those joining us online, those at the FWRC, the commonality that we all share is that we all do experience pain. We all have things that have happened to us or that are currently happening to us that we did not invite and we did not anticipate these things happening. Maybe there's something like that right now in your family with your spouse or with your children or with your Parents, maybe there's something going on with your job that did not ex you did not expect it to happen. Maybe you lost your job, or maybe there was uh, something that happened and you lost a client, or you lost something that, that something went sideways and you did not anticipate it. You didn't see it happening, and it's bringing pain into your life. Maybe for you, it is physical. Maybe you're dealing with some physical ailments, some pain, a diagnosis, something that is going on in your body that is actually causing you physical pain. Maybe for you, it has something to do with some of your peripheral relationships in your life with your friends or people that are close to you. And there's, there's a distance there. There's been a lack of trust because of something that has happened. Maybe for you, there's some financial things in play there when it comes to pain in your life right now. Like you were doing the Dave Ramsey baby steps and then all of a sudden your transmission blew out in your vehicle and so you, you, you have to erase all the steps and go back to zero. I know it's not how it works. Financial Peace University people, please don't come at me. It's a joke, all right? <laughs> I know you're coming, just relax, it's okay. Life sometimes goes according to plan, but then it feels like suddenly 
something happens. We have this plan for our life, the one-year plan, the two-year plan, the five-year plan, the 10-year plan, all these things that we've built into the expectation that we have for our life and things might be going well for a while, but then pain enters and it kind of messes us up, doesn't it? It kind of knocks us off of that plan that we had for our lives. In the words of Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. And there are times when we are seemingly minding our own business and life just kind of punches us in the mouth because pain is inevitable. Aren't you glad you came to DCC today? Are you excited? You're like, whew, this is what I came for today. If you were having that conversation in the car with somebody on the way, be like, I hope that he like, keeps it light today. Sorry, uh, it gets better, I promise. But pain is inevitable. But I'm not telling you something you don't already know. I'm not introducing you to a brand new concept that you're like, oh my gosh, is there gonna be pain in my life? We all know this. Especially if you've been following Jesus any period of time in your life, you realize that just by following Jesus, we invite some things to happen in our lives. Jesus himself tells us in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus, the one that we are following, tells us in this world, until this life is over and you enter into eternity, bad things are going to happen to you. Now, he doesn't stop there because he continues and says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we do deal with pain. We deal with trauma. We deal with problems. We deal with trials and tribulations and issues and circumstances, but we don't deal with them alone. We deal with them with Jesus when we follow Jesus. And even though we know that pain is coming, we know that it's not a foreign concept. Our natural response when life finds some pain for us to deal with is usually to evacuate or at least try to survive. Like most of the time when there is some kind of tension in our lives, there is some situation that happens, there's a trial, there's pain. What we usually try to do is we try to sidestep the pain and hope that it just goes past us, right? We try to maneuver our lives in a way to where we have the little, least amount of impact that we possibly can from that pain. We want to avoid those uncomfortable, painful seasons in life. And sometimes when that doesn't work, all we start to do is just all right, I'm just gonna hang on and I'm gonna hunker down until this thing passes. Like sometimes the pain is so substantial in our lives that we feel like just surviving through it is gonna be a victory on the other side until I can be done with this and then I'll catch my breath and get back onto track. I'll get back onto plan, right? After this season in my marriage where it's really rough is over, then then I'll be able to breathe and get back on track. After my kids grow out of that stage of life, then I'll be able to breathe again and get back on a track. After I've built up enough savings in my account, then I'll be able to, after, 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 and we're just kind of holding on and waiting and hoping that the pain, that the trial, that circumstance will just kind of pass and we'll be okay and we'll be somewhat on, unscathed on the other side. But in our text from James this morning, we see that for the Christ follower, there is a different posture to take when we experience pain, heartbreak, trauma, and difficulties. 
You see, the, the author of this passage of Scripture, James, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, but I, I want to provide a little bit of context on who James is writing to and a little bit about who James is. You see, James was the brother of Jesus. James grew up in the same family as Jesus, and, and the Bible is very clear that G, a lot of Jesus' family did not believe that he was who he was claiming to be in, in, in the, the young years of his life and even into his ministry. It says his brothers did not believe him. And so James was not a believer in his brother in the fact that he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And it wasn't until later on after Jesus was crucified, after the resurrection, that Jesus appears to several people. And in this list of people that are mentioned, James by name specifically is mentioned. And so Jesus made a point to go visit James after his resurrection. And at some point through that interaction and after that, James is a believer. James sees that his brother was dead and now is alive, and that made a believer out of James to the point where James goes on to lead the early church in Jerusalem. So he goes from not even believing that his own brother is who he says that he is in Jesus to going all the way over to the other side of, I'm gonna lead this movement after Jesus ascends. And so James is writing this letter to his church, to the people that he cares about, to the people that he loves on behalf of the church. But you see, by the time he writes this letter, there's been a ton of persecution. In fact, when James writes this letter, most theologians and scholars believe that the church in Jerusalem especially had just endured this huge wave of persecution. Because what happened is this movement of Jesus followers was starting to gain a lot of steam. And because of that, there were a lot of very important, powerful people that were threatened because they felt like they were gonna lose control. And so you had the Roman Empire that was threatened by these, these kind of like grassroots efforts from these churches. And as the name of Jesus is growing in fame and as more people are believing, it is, it is a threat to the empire. And then not just that, but it's also a threat to the Jewish temple because they were the ones, after all, that went ahead and orchestrated the entire execution of the leader of this movement. And so they're afraid that there's gonna be some retribution, that they're gonna come after them. So both of these two entities, which are enemies of each other, joined together to persecute that early church to the point where by the time James writes his letter, the persecution was so heavy that most of the members of this early church in Jerusalem were scattered all throughout the area of the Mediterranean. And so they were either staying put, declaring their faith in Jesus and, and facing down possible execution, but definite persecution, or they were having to run looking behind them, hoping that no one was gonna catch up to them. Now, obviously, Satan wanted to try to destroy the movement. All he did was scatter all of these people to different areas where the word about Jesus could spread because that's just how Jesus does, isn't it? And so when James writes this letter, in James chapter one, he's writing to a group of people who are afraid for their lives, who have endured huge hardships, who all probably personally know a friend or a family member who was persecuted in extreme fashion for their faith. And when James, with all of this in mind, opens this letter to these Christians in his letter in James, he opens with an encouragement in the midst of their current persecution to do what? To consider it pure joy. He's looking at, figuratively he's writing, but he's telling 
this church, these people that he loves, these people that he cares about, all of the persecution that you have endured, all of the heartache, all of the heartbreak, the worst of the worst, here's what I want you to do. Consider, look at it all, consider it pure joy. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that's not what I wanna hear. I would love it if James had opened this letter and say, hey guys, been a rough one, right? Hang in there, hang in there, you know, praying for you. Just let God move, let God work. Like we would want something a little bit more tender. James does not give us tender. He gives us considerate, pure joy. Brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And if we're just being really honest this morning, I would say that our default reaction to most pain in life, joy is not the first reaction that we have. I can't, I, I mean, I, I'll be very just transparent with you this morning, like when things that I were, was not expecting start to go wrong and go sideways in my life, my first reaction is not, man, what a joyful occasion this is. Excited about this. Woo! It's not the first reaction. It's not our go-to, stub your toe, and then the next thing that happens is, yay! That's not the reaction that we usually have. Our reaction to pain is much different. In fact, if our actions and reactions to pain actually wrote this passage of scripture, I have a feeling it would sound more something like this. Consider it someone else's fault and shift the blame, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it an inconvenience to be irritated about and make sure everyone knows how hard it is so that you can get attention, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it a problem to be solved and expend all your energy to fix it in your own strength, brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of all kinds. Consider what you can do to distract yourself from the pain until this whole thing blows over, brother and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. But that's not the encouragement that James offers to that early church, and it's not the instruction for us as Jesus followers today. See, James is, is speaking to this group of people that have been mistreated and persecuted, and he's saying, listen, all of the pain that you have endured, don't try and get out of it. These people that are hunting you down, these people that wanna kill you because of your faith, however bad it gets, and whatever trial comes in between that, any kind of pain that you're facing, don't try and get out of the way, don't dissociate, don't ignore it, don't just hunker down and try and ride it out, but instead, consider that pain as joy. Doesn't make sense to us at the surface level, it doesn't make sense because our pursuit and definition of joy does not align with the kind of joy that James is writing about here in this letter to that early church. Because we have a tendency to think that joy is only found when our circumstances match our expectations. We have this, this tendency to think that if everything around us is going well, then yay, we have joy. That's what we think. We have this tendency to think that when we get that promotion, Joy. When you find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, finally, joy. When your investment portfolio, chef's kiss, joy. 
When your kid makes honor roll, we got joy then. When you find that really great parking spot and there's not a motorcycle or a short car in there that freaked you, like tricked you out, joy. Now listen, I'm not saying that these are bad things and I believe that God wants to give his children good gifts. There's so much scripture that indicates that and I've seen that play out in my own life. These things by themselves though cannot sustain joy. They can contribute to the joy that we experience. But if the only source for joy and happiness in our lives are favorable conditions, then the only constant is going to be disappointment. The only thing that we're gonna know consistently throughout our lives, if we are basing our foundation for experiencing happiness and joy is on what we have around us and what is surrounding us. And if there is a pain level that is manageable in our lives, then we are going to consistently be disappointed. I don't, I don't even need to point it out to you, but I will. There are obvious flaws when we go through life hoping and expecting our happiness and joy to come from our circumstances. The first is pretty obvious. If our external factors are less than ideal, then our joy is gone. If the, the money isn't where we want it to be, if the success isn't happening as quickly as we want it to happen, if those relationships are not sustaining the way that we want to, if our health is not holding up, if those external circumstances, those things that, that, that need to, to be predicated for us to have joy, if those things start crumbling and falling apart, then the joy crumbles and falls apart with it. But it's not just that. You see, what about when that money or that success or that relationship or that job isn't as satisfying as it used to be? What happens when we attain those things and for a while that thing does bring us joy and we love that and we experience happiness because of that, but then the shininess and the newness and the, the wow factor starts to kind of fade. What do we do then? What do we do when that thing that we put all of our hope and trust that was going to bring joy to us, what happens when that's not bringing us joy anymore? What do we do? Do we just buy the bigger boat? Do we just get the new shoes? Some of you are like, you missed an opportunity for an amen, but amen. what do we do? <laughs> the boat. Um, but what do, we, what do we do then? I mean, I, I see this play out in marriages all the time. This, you know, they couple meets, fall in love, so much happiness, so much joy. They are so happy about how that other person makes them feel. They feel that joy, it's real. And they get married and the joy is exponential. And then the honeymoon phase starts to fade and it starts to feel a little bit like work. And then it starts to feel a lot more like work. And the newness has worn off. The joy starts to fade. And so how many times have we seen someone in that spot say, well, it must be that relationship. And so let me jump to this next relationship because that is new and that is fresh and there will be a new honeymoon period over here. And this is going to bring me joy only to see that pattern repeat in life because if we only predicate our joy on our circumstances that are around us, we will continue to be disappointed. Because when this is the kind of joy that we're chasing, we are chasing after a moving target. This is not the kind of joy that James is referencing when he tells that early church and us to consider it pure joy. In fact, the word in the Greek for joy here is kara, and it means inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing. One way that I heard it said is, it's a feeling of happiness that is independent of what happens. 
It is something that is below the surface. It is not skin deep. It's not surface deep. It's not circumstantial. The exterior elements do not affect the kind of joy that James is imploring us to have because this kind of joy only comes from trusting completely in someone who doesn't waver, who doesn't move, and who doesn't change. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As we sang about, he is the same God. Jesus does not change. And if we place our faith and our hope in him, then we will not be moved and swayed. Our joy will not be dependent upon our circumstances. And we know that in that, we can have joy and pain because we know that the circumstances that are surrounding us are not greater than the power that resides in us when our faith is planted in Jesus. And when Jesus is the source of our joy, there is no external factor that can shake that joy from us. Last weekend, my wife and I had an incredible opportunity to visit the Florida Women's Reception Center. And I know that we talk about it a lot, and if you're unfamiliar with what that is, the Florida Women's Reception Center is a women's prison that we have had the incredible opportunity as a church family to, uh, to, to join with Randy and Nicole Dyson and the Jesus Infusion. To, uh, and it, it's kind of started last Easter, so it's been just over a year now, that we've been live streaming our services into the FWRC. And so every service that we have here streams nine o'clock and 11 o'clock, and those, the, the women show up to the chapel and they watch. They are a part of our church. We are church family with them. They are a campus of ours. Ladies at the FWRC, hello again. We're glad you're there. But me and my wife had an opportunity last weekend. We were invited to to go and and be a part of a baptism service that they were having there at the FWRC. And so we showed up. We weren't able to stay for the whole thing, but total that entire day, 110 women were baptized last Saturday inside the walls of a prison. And it's an incredible experience because when you walk in and you check in, you hear the buzzing of the electric fence and you walk on the other side of the razor wire and through all the checkpoints and you have to get buzzed in here and buzzed in there. I mean, you talk about an environment that really provides no opportunity for joy. That's it. I mean, these women are there, they're stuck there, they're in a chapel inside of a prison. And so we were there and we're watching this happen and, and we're, we're getting to be a part of this baptism. And I even got to pray uh, to kind of open up the baptism service. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself the whole time, I'm like, I know at some point, I'm not a crier, I'm not. That's not a range of emotion that I visit often. As I get older, it happens more, I've found out. But... I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, I, I know that at some point I'm gonna break because it's gonna be powerful, but maybe I'll make it through, I don't know, half of the baptisms. First person that got in that baptistry that's in the floor, it's, it's in the floor of the chapel where they have their services there. They were getting into that cold water because there is no heater there right now. The heater broke, and so they're walking into cold water, which felt like when we were at the middle school, because that's how we rolled back in the middle school. We didn't have hot water there for our baptisms either, so there was a kindred spirit there that day. I didn't get in the water, so it was fine, but first woman who came down those steps and into that baptistry, I lost it. I mean, I'm just, I'm just like, forget it, because... When these women come into the the baptistry, they're professing their faith in Jesus Christ and then they're asked if they have anything they wanna say to Jesus. And these women behind the razor wire 
in this place that does not provide much opportunity for joy or hope are saying words like they want to thank Jesus for their freedom. They want to thank Jesus for grace, for love, for forgiveness. So yeah, I lost it. I lost it. And in that place that provides no external reason for there to be joy, I'm crying tears of joy, watching what's happening, and I'm seeing them come up out of the waters of baptism with just joy beaming from their faces. That is not predicated on any circumstance that they are experiencing in that moment. That is predicated only on what they have on the inside of them, which is the power of Jesus Christ. That is the joy that James is talking about. (laughs) Ladies, we love you. We love you. We're so glad you're a part of our church family. I'm proud of you. But that joy is not produced by our environment. James can invite us so boldly to consider our circumstances as joy because in the power of Jesus, the difficulties that should break us, instead they deepen our belief. The trials that should make us give up instead of grow, instead they grow our faith. The pain that should defeat us instead starts to develop perseverance in our character. You see, the circumstances that are surrounding you today They may be daunting and they may be intimidating and the pain that you feel is very, very real and you might be tempted to respond with a knee jerk of anxiety and fear and depression and rage and revenge, but we can have joy in those moments of pain because we know that while something bad is happening to us, God is doing something good in us. That while something out here might be wrong, something in here is happening. God is using that circumstance to bring pure joy into our lives. And that is the joy that we can experience if we face life's pain and trials trusting in Jesus. That joy that does not move when the sands of life shift. That that joy that doesn't waver when the storms rage. That joy that is not predicated on any external Factor. That is how and that is why we can look that pain in the face and consider that pain joy. But James, in the translation that we read today, doesn't just say joy. James says, consider it pure joy. You see, in order for something to be pure, it's got to first go through a refining process. And there is this common thread. There is this metaphor that is used and woven throughout scripture, comparing the purification of our lives and our hearts to the process of purification of gold. Proverbs 17, three refers to it like this. It says, the crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. Making this connection between this purification process, this refinement, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed." You see, this parallel makes so much sense in our lives and it connects to this purification process in our hearts and the joy that we experience because gold in, the, in its natural environment does not exist in its purest form. The gold obtained after the process of mining that gold out of rock or out of that mountain, it's, it's, then, it's, it's mixed when it comes out of the mountain with impurities that need to be removed. And it's done through this 
purification and refinement process and the oldest way to remove the impurities from gold to bring it to where it can be pure gold is with heat by fire. In ancient times, this form of refining involved a craftsman sitting next to a fire that was very, very hot with molten gold in a crucible being stirred and skimmed and the impurities would rise out of that. They couldn't stay in that heat. The impurities would rise to the surface and that craftsman would then scrape them off, skim them off of the top of that golden molten metal. And when the heat is applied to all the impurities, they would separate, they would move, they would change. And through this process, that gold is then purified through heat. And so for something to be called and labeled pure gold, if it's really pure gold, that means that it's gold and nothing else. There are no other chemicals. There are no other ingredients. It is pure. All of the imperfections, all of the impurities have been burned out of it. There is no other element within it. And God's desire, according to James, is for us to have pure joy in pain. Pure joy, not half and half joy, not one part joy, two parts sorrow, but pure joy. But in order for that joy to be purified, there first has to be a refining process. See, just like the heat is used in the hands of the skilled craftsmen to reveal and remove the impurities in the gold, God uses the heat of trials. He uses the heat of the pain that we experience to reveal and remove the impurities in our lives. You see what happens when we face pain and the heat is turned up in our lives. It uncovers any place in our heart that we might've gotten really good at hiding where we don't really trust God. It has a tendency to uncover those things that we want to keep covered, those impurities, those places in our heart where we're really not trusting in God. It reveals our deepest desires. Pain is the heat that reveals our deepest fears. Pain is the heat that reveals our real intentions. And pain has a tendency, I don't know about you, but for me, pain in my life leaves me just raw and humble and tender and vulnerable. It takes all of those impurities and it brings them up to the surface to allow us to see who we really are, to allow us to see what we really are all about, what we really believe. And when those impurities come to the surface, we have an opportunity to allow God to remove those impurities from our lives. And it's in that humility that God does some of his best work. It's in that vulnerability that God does some of his best work. You see, James four and six tells us that God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And in the refining process of pain, it is in that moment, it's in that refining process when the heat is turned up and those impurities start to rise and those impurities are removed from our life that God can mold us to be more like him. Listen, I'm not standing up here in denial today, it's hard. And those seasons are painful, but it is through that pain that God can purify the joy that we can experience. Isn't it amazing that that's how much God loves us? Some people might look at the pain that they experience and read the words of James and feel like it's disingenuous, feel like it's just kind of masking over the real issue, but really what it's doing is it showing God's love? Because sometimes when we have a tendency to say, God, why don't you take these things away from me? God, why don't you take the pain away from me? God loves us so much that he will even use the trials 
He will even use the pain that we endure to build faith and produce perseverance. See, God loves us so much that that disappointment is never discarded, it's used for his glory. God loves us so much that the pain is never permanent. God loves us so much that what we sow in tears, we will reap in joy. And the heat of that trial, the heat of that pain that you're in, it's purifying us. And if we let it, it's purifying the joy that we can have. So we can look at that trial, we can look at that pain, we can look at that inconvenience, we can look at that diagnosis, we can look at that loss, we can look at it square, and we can consider that pain. We can consider that trial pure joy. Because I know that if I trust Jesus in that trial, that he is going to do something inside of me. If I look at that pain and I see that heartache and I see that heartbreak and I choose to consider, to look at it and I count it, that's joy. That is pure joy. If I can do that, I know that on the other side of that, I'm not gonna be the same that I was before I started to walk into that. You see, what God wants to do through the pain and the circumstances and the trials of our life, if we trust him, he's gonna build in us character. He's gonna build in us faith that, that, that brings about perseverance. And so when I'm done with this trial, when I'm on the other side of this pain and I'm ready to face the next one that's coming because there's an always another one coming, the length we don't know, what kind we don't know, but we know that there's another one coming. When I go to face that one, I'm not the same person that I was before I faced that one right there. Because God has done something in my life if I'll let him do that through the pain. If I won't try and step aside, if I won't try to ignore it, if I won't try and just hide until it's over, if I'll say, okay, God, I'm considering this pure joy because I know that if you can do something in my heart, it's gonna build in me something that no one can take away and something that I need for the next time I'm in this circumstance. Because in this world, we will have trouble. And that trouble, that trial, that pain, if we'll let it, we'll build our faith and build our perseverance in the one who overcame the world. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that you love us so much that you are with us in the pain. Oh, Father, I know that there are people in this room right now that have endured so much. Oh, the pain is real. It seems insurmountable. Father, I pray right now. Oh, Father, you give them the boldness to see that pain as joy that we would place our faith and our hope and our trust, our confidence in you today. Because you do not waver. You do not change. So God, we place that hope, that joy in you. God, we know that sometimes you'll deliver us from whatever situation we're in and sometimes you'll lead us through that situation. But regardless, God, we know that you are with us. God, we love you for that. We are so grateful for that, that you are with us, that you will never leave us. God, you will never forsake us. 
God, we pray that you would give us the strength. Holy Spirit, strengthen us as we face pain, as we face those trials of many kinds. As you're doing your work in our hearts, give us the boldness to stand up against the pain, not in our own strength, Father, but in the strength that you provide us and the strength that comes through the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.